Greetings, everybody. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show. Glad to have you with me today, and hopefully you have found this podcast. Glad you could download it at both iTunes and Google Music. Glad to have you with me on this Monday. An interesting day and an interesting week shaping up here in Michigan. The lame duck session of the Michigan State Legislature is underway, and we have a lot of information about where they want to go and what they would like to accomplish during this lame duck session. Now, lame duck sessions are always controversial. This year is no different. And one of the things that seems to be emerging is that legislators are looking to mess with things that voters passed or may have had the opportunity to pass had it made it to the ballot. That certainly is the case when it comes to the minimum wage here in the state. We're going to start with a conversation with Zach Gorchow. He, of course, is an editor at Gongwer News Service. They've been covering the state capitol for a long time. Coming up a little bit later, I'll have some words of wisdom on what I think the legislature should be working on, what they should and should not be doing, especially as it relates to what is going on with the will of the voters and their interpretation of what that will actually is. So we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But first, I'd like to welcome Zach Gorchow back to the program. He is a frequent guest. Zach, welcome. It's always a pleasure to have you here. It's good to be with you, Craig. Well, you're going to be busy for the next few days, obviously. The uh, lame duck session in full swing in Lansing right now. And and Zach, I don't want to suggest I'm surprised uh, that the legislature is taking on some of the things that they are. um, But I am a little bit surprised in that they think that they can alter some of these things that were just uh, voted on. Uh, by the people, I don't think that the Michigan Constitution is necessarily that clear about which things they can and cannot act on at this point in time. Am I am I getting that wrong, or are there some questions about whether or not they can adopt and amend certain things within the same calendar year? Well, I guess there's two different things we have to look at here. The first, which I think is what you're talking about, is the proposals to amend the citizen-initiated laws, uh, raising the minimum wage and uh, requiring employers to provide paid sick time. That's the one and, that has the legal question. Now, the other ones we can right. get to, it's a much more simple path on those. But but let's talk a bit about that right now, because I do think that there are competing schools of thought on whether or not this is something they can legally do right now. That's true. Uh, so the Republicans who are pursuing this would say that there is nothing in the Constitution that says a voter-initiated act that the legislature then approves and makes it law, uh, there's nothing that says that it cannot be amended shortly thereafter. And they are right. Uh, There is nothing in the Constitution that says they can't do this. Uh, Now, the the Democrats are saying, you know, wait a second, you know, there's been an opinion, an attorney general's opinion from former attorney general Frank Kelly back in 1964, who says, no, you know, you should not be able to amend, the legislature should not be able to amend a voter-initiated act in the same legislative session, meaning they would need to wait until next year. But, you know, there's nothing in statute or the Constitution that backs that up. However, one could say it is sort of common sense in the sense that why would the framers of the Michigan Constitution create a mechanism for voters to bring a law before the legislature in the hopes that the legislature would approve it only for the legislature to then be able to subvert that act and, in effect, gut it. I mean, that doesn't really make sense that that was the design. However, we've seen this before where, uh, you know, if the law doesn't spell it out, there's room there for the courts to say, you know what, they've got the legal right to change this. And that's what we're going to figure out sometime in the next few days. And I, I look, 
one of the arguments I heard about changing some of the minimum wage requirements, I, I knew that there was going to be an argument about the sick leave uh, requirement for, for uh, smaller businesses in particular. Uh, I knew there were going to be questions about tipped workers and whether or not that was something that should go forward. But I think the thing that shocked a lot of people is this proposal to delay the increase in the minimum wage to $12 an hour until 2030, which is a full 11 years away at this point in time. What's been the reaction there and what was the rationale for that? Well, I think there is some surprise about how far they've gone with the minimum wage proposal. I mean, you could make a very good case that this would, in effect, be, you know, undoes the 2014 compromise legislation on minimum wage because it pulls out the provision put in 2014 that says the minimum wage, once it rises to whatever level the statute calls for, then adjusts according to inflation. So, under this proposal that the that has been introduced in the legislature, once the minimum wage hits twelve dollars an hour in twenty thirty, uh, it would then be set at twenty thirty and would not change. And in effect, the increasing it to twelve dollars an hour in statute is sort of meaningless because the current law, um, actually, I should say, before the initiated act was even adopted based on just inflation, it would have gotten to about $12 an hour anyways by 2030. So I think everybody expected they were going to return tipped workers to a lower minimum wage uh, as they are now and would not let them be brought up to the regular minimum wage by 2024, which would have been more than $12 an hour. Uh, There's been a lot of angst in the restaurant industry, but I don't think folks expected they were going to drag out the increase quite as far. I don't think people expected the inflation adjuster to be pulled out. And the other thing this does is it slows the the increase in the tip minimum wage would be slower uh, than the uh, increase for the um, uh, regular minimum wage. Well, Zach, I mean, what has been the rationale for making these changes uh, amongst uh, the legislators? I mean, I've seen a few quotes, one of them saying, well, you know, we're trying to interpret the will of the people. Uh, You know, the will of the people could have been interpreted by letting this go to the ballot in the first place. Obviously, it would have been much harder to amend if that had been the case. But but what is the argument being made by the Republicans in pushing this? Well, I mean, clearly there is big concern in uh, business, specifically the restaurant industry. Uh, that bringing tipped workers up to the regular minimum wage would be a major adjustment to their business model. Um, that's what's led to the, the adopt and amend decision. You know, the, the, the slowing the growth of, to $12 an hour, in effect, basically just letting it keep going according to inflation. Um, you know, I think they basically felt like, you know, we're going in here and we're going to change this. Let's you know, just keep, in effect, keep the previous law as it was and have the wage wage just go up according to inflation. You know, I think there's a feeling, hey, we thought we took care of this when we put in the inflation adjuster. And I think there's a feeling there that we're making these changes. We don't want to increase costs for business uh, in the form of higher wages. So we're making this change. 
My guest right now is Zach Gorchow. Of course, he's the editor at Gongwer News Service in Lansing. We're talking about the uh, lame duck session that we are in the midst of right now. Uh, the Michigan Senate in particular has introduced a number of bills that have been getting attention. Uh, I think the free press described some of these bills as a smash and grab <laughs> that was being done by the Republicans. I think it was Brian Dickerson that came up with that phrase here. Uh, let, let's talk a bit about a couple of the other things. Um, there has been some push to modify the uh, voter-approved uh, legalized recreational marijuana issue. However, that was already approved. That's going to take a three-quarters majority in in both houses uh, if they're going to actually effectively amend that as it stands right now. One of the things they would like to do is eliminate the ability for people to grow at home, which would be a boon for commercial growers, obviously. But what's the likelihood that we'll actually see movement on those? Because that did pass by double digits. There's a lot of public support for legalized recreational marijuana here in Michigan. I mean, I think the likelihood is zero. Okay. You're talking about a three quarters majority in the House and a three quarters majority in the Senate. That means you need Democratic votes in both chambers uh, to make those changes. And it's very clear the Democrats will not support changes uh, as this was just passed. And thus, this is going nowhere. So, so this is more a statement of principle than than anything else on the part of yeah, uh, the I, yeah, I think so. Yes, and exactly. and I mean, I, obviously, that's a debate that could be had in the next legislative session. They they may decide that they want to tweak this in a couple of years. So, some new guidelines might be something that's that's doable here. Uh, I, I think the one thing that is getting a lot more attention, though, are these bills out there that would potentially curb some of the authority of the Secretary of State and the Attorney General, uh, giving the legislature the ability to um, insert itself into what cases the Attorney General might defend or not defend, or, or which lawsuits it might join or not join. Also, uh, removing some of the oversight of the electoral system from the Secretary of State. Now, one of the things that I've heard from the sponsors of this bill, uh, Arlen Mikoff said, well, these are things that uh, make for better governance. These are things we would have supported that we'd support anyway. This isn't just a lame duck thing. My simple question is, if they believed that, why did they not do it sooner? They could have done this over the course of the last eight years of, of the Snyder administration. They chose not to. Uh, is anybody buying this, that this is strictly about better governance? No. No, no one is buying it. This is about political power. And, you know, Jocelyn Benson is the first Democrat to win the Secretary of State's job since 1990. And Dana Nessel is the first Democrat to win the Attorney General's job since 1998. And uh, this will be the first time since the 80s that the Democrats have had all three statewide offices. And so the Republicans are uh, looking at uh, measures to try to retain, you know, some semblance of authority or dilute the power of the Democrats that they're going to have. You know, the, this bill that, w- which I think does have some legs to let the legislature intervene in any court action in any state court, uh, it could be very significant. Uh, I think the one that people are talking about right away is there's been a lawsuit to challenge the repeal of Michigan's prevailing wage law. Mm-hmm. And that's still pending in the Michigan Court of Claims. And the judge there denied. Uh, motions from the Michigan Senate Republican Caucus and a state representative to intervene in that case, which means right now the only named defendants in the case are the Depart- Michigan Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs and the state of Michigan. So what ha- right now that means uh, Rick Snyder uh, and his administration are the defendant uh, represented by Attorney General Bill Schutte. And what happens on January 1 
is Gretchen Whitmer is going to become the governor and Dana Nessel is going to become the attorney general and they're going to take over the defense of that case. And they may just decide, you know what, uh, we think we'd like to settle this. And you know what, let's just settle it uh, the exact way that uh, the uh, unions who filed the suit wanted, which would essentially be to say, we agree that this law was unconstitutional and uh, prevailing wage, the prevailing wage will come back. So by if this law, if this bill allowing the legislature to intervene were to become law, you would immediately see uh, emo, you know, motions from the House and Senate to intervene in the case by law under this bill. They would have the right to intervene and they would become the new defendants so that there would be somebody left to defend the repeal of the prevailing wage. That is how this would work. Uh, that is the significance of this bill. Uh, well, interestingly enough, this reminds me of uh, something similar that happened in North Carolina a few years ago after, of course, Pat McCrory uh, was not reelected as the Republican governor there. A new Democrat had been elected in the state and the state legislature moved to strip the power to appoint Supreme Court justices in that state. That was challenged. Uh, the likelihood of a legal challenge of this, because this does increase the power of the legislative branch here in Michigan. Is there a constitutional challenge that could uh, be mustered here? I think so. I mean, they have the right to request to intervene now, and the judge can decide what to do. This would sort of guarantee a right to intervene. I, I have no idea how this would turn out, but this definitely does get into a separation of powers question. You know, who represents the state of Michigan in court? Is it uh, the governor and the attorney general? Um, or does the legislature have a legitimate claim to say, you know what, we have separate interests um, and have the right to intervene? Um, you know, I, you could probably make arguments both ways uh, that there's a, this is a valid use of legislative power. And you could also say it's an intrusion upon executive authority. Um, I have no doubt it will be challenged if it does become law. Well, at the same time, I mean, Democrats screaming bloody murder about this, uh, you know, and, and rightfully so, I think there is, you know, the old saying elections have consequences uh, and also the old saying to the victors belong the spoils. You know, they won all three top positions in the state. They made gains in the legislature. Uh, Democrats, I think, are, are within their right to complain about this legislative action. Uh, does it seem like the public is is uh, up in arms about this in any way, shape, or form, or is this the kind of thing that the Republicans just aren't going to care? They're going to look at this as a long-term interest, and we're going to do it regardless of what the voters said in November. Well, I think the test on that is going to be these bills that would transfer the authority over campaign finance from the Secretary of State to this new uh, to a new commission. Um, the name of it. I know, can't remember the name of it, but uh, it's pretty the fun. Fair Political Practices Commission, yeah. I think is what it would be called. It would be a three Democrats, three Republicans commission that would handle all campaign finance complaints. It's basically modeled on the Federal Election Commission. And if anybody who's covered or watched the Federal Election Commission knows that's a totally dysfunctional and ineffective entity. So I, I don't know that they really have a good case to say this would be an improvement in, in governance. Um, if that's the way it went, you know, right now that bill looks like it's sort of the pet project of uh, state Senator Dave Robertson, who's the chair of the elections committee. Um, you know, let, we'll see if it actually gains traction, but you know, that's one where there could be something of a bat. There could be a real backlash because look, Jocelyn Benson, you know, won a substantial victory in the state and, you know, <laughs> 
it's going to be an interesting situation for those members of Republican members of the House, if they were to vote for this, who are still eligible to run for re-election, or if they're going over to the Senate, are going to be up for re-election over there at some point, to have to explain, uh, you know, if Jocelyn Benson did really well in their area, uh, why they decided to to kneecap her, essentially. Um, you know, this is sort of, it, it has echoes of what happened with Jennifer Granholm 20 years ago when uh, the Republicans in the legislature toyed around with the idea of saying she couldn't issue attorney general opinions anymore. Um, you know, there was a huge backlash to that. I think it's, it's too early. To, I mean, clearly Democrats activists are up in arms. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know to what extent this has hit the broader public yet. It's still very, very new. Um, but it is getting a fair amount of coverage. And if they decide to move it, it's going to get a lot of coverage. Well, well Zach, I mean, it, it brings the question. And a lot of people have been asking, and, and if you read the comment section, which everybody says you should never do. But, of course, that's part of our jobs is to see what people are saying about this. There are a number of people wondering whether or not uh, lame duck sessions, especially in a term limited state like Michigan, where you have so much turnover every year, whether or not lame duck sessions should be permitted to go forward or there should be some changes because there are no political consequences for many of these people in office right now. They can do whatever they want um, if they have the power to do so. And most of them won't face any pot- potential consequences for this from voters. And there's no real accountability there. Would you ever expect a time where people might actually start looking about this lame duck session and and potentially limiting what can and cannot be addressed? I mean, I think it, it's certainly a possibility. The question you would almost need, though, a similar organization to crop up like the redistricting initiative that would which is also being challenged up from the in grassroots this, in this session, right? Uh, you know, to bubble up from the grassroots um, because. You know, there's not going to be you have to change the Constitution to do this. And there's you know, I don't see the legislature looking to curb its power. And no. uh, there's not going to be, you know, none of the entities with money are going to really get behind, you know, putting this on the ballot. But it would take something like that. Um, I think there's certainly a lot of angst about it. I mean, of the 38 members of the Senate, only one of them is eligible to run for reelection uh, in 2022. So. You know, look, you know, that's a pretty amazing statistic. And I think, you know, in the House, I was counting it up the other day, but of the 63 Republicans, I, it's something like 30 of them are eligible to either run for re-election to the House or they're, they've been elected to the Senate and will be less, running less over there. Less than a third. Yeah. I mean, well, that's a, of the Republican caucus. I didn't, yeah. I didn't check the Democrats, but so about half the Republican caucus. Um, so you've got most folks have nothing to really fear from the voters. You know, lame duck uh, at its best is the chance to try to resolve, you know, something that's really difficult, a really major issue facing the state that is more difficult to resolve uh, prior to the election. Yeah, like road uh, taxes duck its, or something like that. I mean, you know, the, the typical things sure. that you don't want to put in front of voters or let them know you got to work on. But, right. but real well, like things to real problems. Uh, the big energy statute rewrite from two sure. years ago, that was done in lame duck. And, you know, pretty much it seemed like most folks felt like that was, a, you know, pretty positive. There wasn't a lot of complaining about the law as it turned out. Um, so but then at its worst is when you have these kinds of, um, you know, politics kinds of things going on and, um, you know, a sense that you can, you know, sneak things through late and, you know, no one's going to really, there are going to be no consequences. 
So, Zach, one last question for you, and then I'll let you go because I know you've got work to do this week. Uh, any hint from the governor's office as to where he's going to come down if indeed some of these bills we've been talking about make it to his desk, especially those in regards to the minimum wage? No, they've been, you know, when Governor Snyder's sort of pat answer and his staff's pat answer when there's bills they don't really even want to think about talking about is to say, we'll look at that when it passes the legislature, which is kind of silly because, you know, the governor does employ uh, several uh, several members of uh, his staff who are specifically in legislative affairs and working with the legislature. So the idea that they kind of sit back and don't work the process until the bill emerges from the legislature is just simply not correct. But that is all they will say at this point on those bills. I think the big thing to watch is, does the governor get his proposed uh, fees on landfills to raise money for brownfield cleanups and his fee on water bills to raise money for water infrastructure? Uh, If he gets those, then I think anything is possible. But the, you know, that, that, those are the governor's key priorities along with the tunnel uh, for line five. And if he gets those things, I think he's probably going to be willing to sign a lot of stuff if that's what delivers the votes for those proposals. So horse trading till the end. He'll deny it, but that's what will happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach Gorchow, we certainly appreciate your time. Always uh, appreciate getting your input on what's going on there. And I think, uh, as I always tell people who listen to this show, pay attention to what happens in Lansing because the stuff that actually impacts your life happens there more so than in Washington. That's why we're happier there. Thanks, sir. All right. Thanks, Craig. So based on what we just heard from Zach Gorchow, I've got a lot of things to say about what the legislature is up to in this lame duck session. The lame duck session has never been a favorite of mine. Now, I'm not sure that this is something that's ever going to go away. It would likely take a voter-sponsored initiative uh, to get something like this done. And as we have seen with voter-sponsored initiatives, the legislature feels free to mess with those anytime they like. It doesn't mean they're always going to pass. It doesn't mean the governor is going to necessarily give a green light to these changes that they'd like to make. But it certainly does toss a monkey wrench into the system when they mess around with things that voters have passed. Now, the minimum wage thing is somewhat different in that the legislature did not give it an opportunity to get to the ballot. So what was the will of the people? Will we ever really know? Certainly the will was very strong to get it on the ballot in the first place. It gained hundreds of thousands of signatures, well above what it needed to get on the ballot. And people's ideas about an increase in the minimum wage have been fairly clear. They're in favor of it. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were in favor of raising it for tipped employees. The signatures would suggest that they were. And the legislature is well within their rights to sit there and see if this is something that they should improve. However, to do it under the guise of doing what the people want is dishonest. They have suggested that this is something that the people want. They want some clarity on this. Well, maybe they do. But you know what? The only way to really figure that out is to let it go to the ballot in the first place. And for those of you that don't necessarily like legislative action by voters as opposed to the people that we have elected, well, guess what? That is on the elected officials themselves and the caucus leaders, not bringing issues to the floor that citizens care about. If they were open and if they were honest about what's really going on here, they would tell you the truth. 
They don't like an increase in the minimum wage. They don't want businesses to take the hit, especially restaurants. But they won't say that. They'll say that they are simply trying to interpret the will of the people. That is disingenuous at best. Now, that one is a little bit cloudier. Now, on the other side, when you actually have voter-approved initiatives, especially things that were approved by double digits, and you have legislators going in in hopes of changing that, granted, the threshold is high, and it's unlikely that you'll get the 75% needed in both chambers to actually impact what voters decided, but to somehow suggest that this is something that they need to do because the voters weren't smart enough to come up with the right policy is insulting to the voters themselves. And you should take it as such. I feel that way. We voted pretty clearly on this. It is not as if we made an uninformed choice. This has been out there for a long time. Hundreds of thousands of people, again, signed the petition to put these things on the ballot, things like legalized recreational marijuana, and, of course, the voters, not politicians issue. These had the signatures necessary to get on the ballot, and they won by double digits. Those are big, big margins. So for the legislature to go in now and try to change it, when, of course, they have no accountability to the voters after they do so, is a problem that we have in Michigan. And it is a problem that's related to a couple of different things. One, term limits. When you have the massive turnover in the legislature that we have, then you're not going to have any consequences to be paid. If somebody's leaving the legislature anyway, they are more than willing to make a vote that might be against the people's wishes as they walk out the door because there are no ramifications for it. That seems to me to be a direct direct rebuttal of what the people suggested they wanted in their vote this past November. That's something I would like to see changed. And I, I guarantee the threshold is difficult to do that. But at the same time, if the legislature really wanted to do something about it, they could have had the guts to do it before lame duck. They don't. And they won't here in Michigan. I'm not expecting much from either party. Now, the one thing that actually has me the most upset is this cynical notion that somehow the Republicans need to curb the power of the incoming administration simply because they're Democrats. I don't see any other reason for them doing it. When they suggest that somehow uh, the control over the elections process and disputes in the elections should be taken away from the Secretary of State, or that perhaps decisions on what lawsuits to entertain, what lawsuits to get involved in or not get involved in is something that the legislature should be in charge of instead of the Attorney General... Well, if they felt that way and they truly believe that this is something that's better governance, as they suggest, then why didn't they do it when they had control of all the branches of government? They didn't do it because they didn't care then. They only care now because the Democrats won the election fair and square here in Michigan and by pretty significant margins. We have seen this happen in other states. North Carolina comes to mind. This is a cynical political ploy. Nothing more. This is the Republicans telling you that they do not believe that the Democrats have the ability to run the state, despite what you said with your vote this time around. You voted for change in Lansing. You voted for a different party leadership in Lansing. All they're trying to do is hamstring their ability to actually lead the way that they think that they should by inserting themselves in roles that they traditionally have not had a role in. Now, if they truly believe that this is good governance, then fine. Bring it up in the next session. Have a discussion. See if you can't get some sort of agreement on what role the legislature should play when it comes to lawsuits against the state or brought by the state or which ones to join or disputes when it comes to campaign finance. That's fine. That's a debate we can have, but do it on honest terms. Don't do it under this cloak of 
basically darkness that is lame duck. Do not let people who are about to walk out the door, either because they were voted out by their own constituents or because they're term limited out, determine what the next administration and the next legislature gets to do. That's not fair, it's not right, and it shouldn't happen. And for anybody to suggest on the Republican side that this is something that they would have done no matter who is in office, I've got a bridge to sell you. Don't buy it. You shouldn't buy it. And this is something we should be paying attention to. If you listen to this program, I have told you time and time again that what happens in Lansing is the stuff that has a direct impact on our day-to-day lives. And I firmly believe that. I'm going to keep watching. I implore you to pay attention too. It may not be the most exciting stuff. It may not seem like it's that sexy, and it certainly doesn't have the sizzle of the whole Mueller investigation or the things that Trump tweets out on a day-to-day basis. But they do have the ability to impact your life in ways that maybe you haven't thought about it. And it definitely has the ability to undermine what you went to the polls and said with your votes. And if you're okay with that, great. If you're not, continue watching this, and contact your legislators and let them know what you think about what they're trying to do right now. Because if this goes where I think it's going to go, and they definitely try to undercut or cut off at the knees the new incoming Secretary of State and the new Attorney General, then what does that say? That says they're not willing to accept the results of an election. That says that they're not willing to accept the fact that there might be somebody else that can capably run this state and be a good administrator and make good decisions. It is the most blatantly partisan act I have seen in a long time here in this state, and that's saying something. I could come up with a bunch of examples, but I'm not going to here. Just look up what they did in Oakland County when the Democrats looked like they were going to win control of the county commission. They went to the Lansing. They went to the legislature, had them change the rules after the game so that they could maintain their control. Because as the person I interviewed on this said, I just don't like the Democrats. I don't think they should be in charge. That is not a good enough reason to make changes like this. It's unacceptable. You lost. You lost by a big margin. You lost a lot of ground in both the House and the Senate, and you lost all three seats at the top of the ticket. Take your medicine. Figure out what was wrong with your message. Figure out what was wrong with your policies, that it was rejected by the voters this time around, and fix it. Come up with a platform that people can support. You've had control for a long time, Things do swing, and sometimes it doesn't go your way. Guess what? Elections matter. You recognize this. So to anybody in the state house that is thinking about voting for this, or the state senate that is looking at advancing these bills, we won't forget. And what goes around comes around, so be very, very careful about what you think about doing here. Because we've already been suffering from hyperpartisanship for too long. Let's add a healthy dose of cynicism and doubt and anger to that mix. Let's see how much more toxic it becomes. I'm Craig Folly. Have a great day. We'll talk tomorrow.